are encouraged by that. But this morning, we're going to be talking about the keys to Christian communication. So as you look at the keys to Christian communication, how we are supposed to interact with each other, how we're supposed to communicate, and not only communicate as in words, but to commune as brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we supposed to come together as a community of believers? Those are the things we want to look at this morning. And so as we jump into that study, um, the, the one idea that you see played out over and over in Scripture is the idea of the one another's. All right, so in other words, love one another, care for one another, serve one another, um, uh, confess your faults to one another. And so as we look at these one another's, this is the blueprint that we're given in Scripture in how we are to interact. You say, well, why is this such an important thing? Why does this matter? Why do we care about how we interact and how we communicate? Why do we care about how our community interacts with each other? And here's why we care. Because everything that God is doing in our church can be stopped or hindered because of faulty communication. It really can. Everything that God intends to do through our body of believers, Satan can stop by making us hate one another. That's the reality of it. Satan can stop it by making us communicate in a way that's outside of what God called us to do. And so as a Christian, and as mature Christians, we've got to be careful to pay attention to the way that God tells us to communicate, to pay attention to the way that God tells us to interact with one another. And so we're going to spend some time this morning talking about that. And I thought a good example, a, a good kind of jump-off point would be this. So my daughters have some exciting dynamics between the four of them. If you don't know, I have Caitlin, who's three. She's almost four, and she'll tell you that. She'll tell you the date and the, lo where she, the, the location she wants to go on her birthday, everything about her birthday. She's well-versed on November 14th, I tell you. She knows no other date in the calendar but that one, but she knows that one because she's almost four. Then I have Mariah, who is six, and you have probably all met Mariah because she doesn't know a stranger in the world. She'll talk to anybody for any amount of time that you want to talk to her. Then I've got Abby, who is my shy, blonde, six-year-old, or not six-year-old, eight-year-old, and then Lily is the boss girl. If you ever see the ringleader, that's her. The 10-year-old is the ringleader. She keeps the other ones in line, sometimes more in line than I want her to keep them in line. And the dynamic between these is really neat because they really do love each other. But sometimes they really need to be reminded that they love each other. And the one who has, uh, the older three have learned, I better at least act like I love my sisters or else I get in trouble. But Caitlin has not yet learned that. And so you can watch Caitlin, and it's funny watching her interaction, because with Caitlin, if Abby and Lily do the exact same thing to Caitlin, or the exact same action is committed by Lily or Abby, Caitlin will have two very different responses. So I'll give you an example. Just the other day, they were all playing in their room, and I hear Caitlin scream as if she, you know, someone is murdering her, her life is in jeopardy. I go running in there, and I say, what's wrong? She said, Lily's playing with my baby doll. I said, okay, so why are you screaming? I didn't tell her it was okay. And now, now mind you, Caitlin has other toys out, and it was not playing with the baby doll. Lily just came in and interfered on Caitlin's territory. The same day, that same afternoon, I walk in the room, and Caitlin is still happily playing with her other toys, and Abby is playing with all of Caitlin's other stuff, her baby dolls, her cribs, her toys. And I said, Caitlin, why are you not mad at Abby? And she said, it's okay. I'm okay with her having it. And I thought, okay, well, what is the difference here? And it, it really brought out a good point for us as adults. The difference in what we will allow somebody to do or not allow somebody to do is our relationship to that person. I want you to think about it. I had a friend in college. Pastor Ron came and preached here at the end of June. You may remember him. Uh, he's actually the new pastor at uh, Union Baptist in Ona in the middle of an orange grove, so I'm going to have him come and preach for us again. But when we were in college, Ron was, what's a nice way to put this? He, uh, he liked to stir the pot, I'll say it that way. And so Ron, I can remember on two different occasions, getting our whole table, so we had big round tables of students, about 10 people per table, all taking the same class. I remember on two different occasions in one semester, him getting us kicked out, our whole table of classes. And both times, because he wouldn't follow dress code. I went to a conservative Baptist college, and we were required to wear a tie. They said, you're going to have to wear a tie when you preach on Sunday, so you have to wear one now. 
So anyway, sorry, moving right along. <laughs> I hope you caught that. But anyhow, the point was this. I, I sat there and I said, Ron, change your tie. He had taken a tie and wrapped it in duct tape. And for some reason, this was the funniest joke in history to him, was that he had a duct tape tie. Well, this same professor in two different classes said, that's not dress code, you're going to get kicked out of here. Ron disregarded and said, well, I'm wearing a tie, so I'm following the rules, I'll be fine. Both times resulting in us, our whole table getting kicked out of the class, a zero on the quiz for that day, and all in major trouble. Well, my response to Ron, who I loved and was my best friend, was that's a funny memory to look back on, Right? Because I had a relationship with him. And the cost of what he ex- it cost me was pale in comparison to how much I loved him. The same situation. I had another friend who all of us were not so close to who thought that it was funny and did literally the exact same thing and got us all kicked out for wearing a duct tape tie, tie in class. We didn't speak to him for the rest of that week. That was Monday. We all gave him the cold shoulder all week. And and the difference was, how much did I love the offender? Does that make sense? Are are you following with me? How much do I really love the one who offends me? And is my love for the offender greater than the offense? Let me tell you something. As a church, our love for each other, the offenders, has got to always be stronger than the offense. It always has to be strong. You say, well, what if they do this? What if they do this? Well, let's jump into the biblical example of what we're supposed to do in these situations. So we're going to jump in here. I want to read just a couple, uh, a couple more passages to you, and then we're going to jump into our outline here for this morning. First passage I want to read you is Proverbs chapter, 12, uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Listen to this. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Do you catch those examples in that verse? What I was just talking about, how that plays out in Proverbs chapter 10 here, he says that hatred, or in other words, if I have hate for you, it's going to make a fight. But if I love you, it doesn't matter what you do, my love is going to cover that transgression. And so looking at it from another angle, if I don't like you, if I don't love you, if I have hate for you, You can be sweet and kind and helping to me, and I will still hate you. I'll find some reason to find fault in what you do or what you say or how you act. But if I truly love you, it doesn't matter how great your transgression is, because my love for you will always be stronger. That's the truth of the matter. That's what it is here. This is what we're called to. And I want to read one more verse John chapter 13, verse 35, and we're going to use these in the sermon as well, but I wanted to read them right off the bat. John 13, 35 says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Here's how we show that we are Christians. You want to be evidence in the world that God is real and God is valuable and God is uh, worthwhile? Here's what he says, By this they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. No, wait, 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 this must be a typo. What it's supposed to say is by this they'll know that you're disciples if you read the right devotional. Right? Is that what it says? No, okay. Wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me try again. By this they will know that you are Christians. You're my disciples if you come to church every Sunday, religiously. Wait, doesn't say that either. By this they will know that you are my disciples if you give to missions, if you, if you go on missions trips, if you give all your free time and, and volunteer or do all of these great things. This is how they'll know you're a believer. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But over and over throughout Scripture we see that if what you're doing is outside of your love, it's not honoring God. If you're not doing it out of love, it's less important than loving one another. This is how the world will know that we follow Christ, when we truly love one another. So let's jump in here uh, in our first thought. So as we're looking today, I want you to remember, these are the keys that we're given throughout Scripture to Christian communication. The first one is this, very simple, love one another. Love one another. I'm going to read to you John chapter 13 once again, uh, verse 34 and 35. It says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. He goes down, this is John again, in chapter 15, verses 12, he says this, This is my commandment that you love one another 
just as I loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jump, jump down to verse 17 of John 15. He says this, this I command you, that you love one another. All right, so there's not a whole lot of evidence in Scripture that we're supposed to love each other, right? That's not, that's not a strong command. Wrong. That's a very strong command. Throughout Scripture, over and over and over, this is a commandment that you love one another. So let's look at this command just a little bit. This word love comes from the word agape. So you probably all heard the word agape. In fact, agape flights. I think Manuel's actually wearing an agape flight shirt today. It's based on love. And so we really need to understand what is this love. So I want you to see that this love is an unconditional, wholehearted, devoted love. It's an unconditional, wholehearted, devoted love. All right, unconditional. That word means that nothing was done to earn it and nothing must be done to preserve it. Did you catch that? Nothing was done to earn it, and nothing must be done to preserve it. Did you know that this is the love that we are loved with, and this is where salvation comes from? You did nothing to deserve the love of Christ to die on the cross for our And to take it a step further, there's nothing you must do to maintain that love of Christ. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you deeply, and he loves you devotedly, and he's not going to change. And this is what he says. It's funny, because even in the passage, he says, just as I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love one another. So let, let's look at some of the examples or some of the, the situations that this removes our excuses from. Sometimes we say, well, I don't love them because they don't deserve it. Did you? No, I didn't either. Newsflash, none of us deserved love. It was given freely, unconditionally. All right, well, let's look at some other excuses, some other reasons why we say I don't want to love someone. Well, they really hurt me. More than nails in hands, right? More than, more than a crown of thorns on your brow? Wasn't more than that. You've not been hurt more than that. You say, well, why are you, why are you pushing this so hard? Because we need to remember that we love each other not because we deserve it from each other, but because Christ deserves it, and he paid for our love, and he paid for our sins, and he's forgiven us. So who are we to not forgive one another? If Christ has forgiven me, then your forgiveness really is worthless. I know that sounds like really bold and really harsh, but if I've been forgiven by Christ, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And so we need to start seeing each other as forgiven sinners. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. If we're out hunting for sin, we'll find it everywhere. But instead, we've got to be looking to love each other rather than trying to find the faults in each other. So he says here that uh, love is, a, is a, like I said, an unconditional, wholehearted, devoted love. Not only that, it's chiefly of the heart opposed to the head. So what does that mean? What are, you, what are you trying to say? The main focus of this love is that it's an emotional love. Now, now here's where, where we get stuck. You say, well, that means if I don't feel like loving them, I don't have to love them. Wrong, wrong. What he's saying, in fact, is the opposite. Just because it doesn't make sense to love them doesn't mean you don't have to love them. Just because there's no reason to love them doesn't mean you don't love each other. Just because we've failed each other and fall and cause problems for each other, that's not a reason to not love because the love is not about what it makes sense or not. It's because of the change that Christ has made in us. And because of his love in our hearts, that love needs to be spread abroad through other believers. That's where the world will see a difference. You say, well, what do you mean by that? It's not hard to figure out where the gospel is going to make an appearance in our world. If you show love, you are weird, right? If you think about our world, if you love unconditionally, undeservedly, no one else is doing that. It's not human nature to love somebody that doesn't deserve it. In fact, it's human nature to destroy somebody who doesn't deserve your love. It's human nature to, to um, uh, fight with those that don't deserve your love. But what God has called us to is to love those who don't even deserve it. Not just because it makes sense, but because he has changed us and he deserves it. Not only that, it says the heart is the deepest part of you. It is you unrestrained. In other words, who you really are deep down. This is where it gets convicting. This is where it gets convicting. If we're going to love each other with our hearts, what's in our heart has to be love. 
the love, the source of that love that we need to have is Jesus Christ. So here's where it comes back to. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is an impossible task for you. Loving the unlovable is not a human trait. Loving the undeserving is not something that comes naturally. In fact, loving those that don't deserve it can only be the result of a heart that's transformed by God himself through Jesus Christ, his son. That's where love has to come from. So here's where it gets convicting to me. If this is the model that Christ changes my heart, and because my heart has changed, I love those around me, why so often do I not love those around me? I'm talking about myself. Why so often is it hard for me to love unlovable people if God's changed my heart? And there can only be one answer. I know that I'm a believer. I know that I'm a follower of Christ. So the answer must be this, is that my focus is somewhere else other than Jesus Christ. Because if I've been changed by him, and my focus is him, there's no offense that anybody can do that would make them fall outside the love of God that he's put in my heart. And so here, I want you to understand that you must be changed before you can love the true and devoted way. So here's the, here's the challenge. Here's the third thing here. He says, we are to love, to truly love, to wholeheartedly, devotedly, and unconditionally in the core of our being. And let me reiterate, that only will happen when Christ is influencing who we are. I've heard it said this way, and you probably have as well. <coughs> You're going to spill, okay? So you as a believer, I want you to remember your life. Think of it as a cup, okay? If I have a cup of Coke and it gets bumped, what spills out? Coke, right? If I have a cup of garbage water and it gets bumped, what spills out? Garbage water. Now, is the big problem the bump or is the big problem what's inside the cup? It's what's inside the cup. Because here's the thing. Going through life, you're going to get bumped. It's going to happen. People are going to offend you. You're going to have misunderstandings. You're going to mis make mistakes. Others are going to make mistakes. And you're going to get bumped. Something is going to spill out. And what will spill out is whatever is inside. And so here's the first point. It's not that we got to try harder to love each other. It's not that we got to try harder to be nice. Because guess what? That only lasts when I'm ready for it. Right? When I'm ready for it, even if I've got a cup of garbage, if I'm ready to be bumped, I won't spill it. But when things surprise me, that's, what you see, that's when you see what's really inside. When things take me off guard, that's what's really going to show you what is inside of me. And so here's the challenge today, not to be nicer or to try harder or to love more, to be transformed by the love of Christ in a daily way and in a permanent way. That's the challenge. Because then when somebody offends you, when somebody bumps into you, when somebody disagrees with you, when there's friction... What spills out is going to be love and not hate. Simple as that. Because here's the reality. You are going to have conflict. It, and, and, and let me tell you a little secret. God planned it that way. You're supposed to have conflict. Did you, I want you to think about this. Think of the person that causes you the most stress and strain and discomfort in life. And I want to tell you in this moment, God put them there to grow you and to change you. Now I want you to think about the last interaction you had with that person. What spilled out? Convicting, right? Convicting for me, I'll tell you the truth. If you are not changed inside, you will not change the outside. What's inside will spill out. And so that's the first point here, is that we're called to love one another, and the only way that's going to happen is because of the love of Christ. I want you to know that this love is a commandment. John 13, 34, I won't read all these again, but over and over and over again, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, and he goes on further, he says, even as I have loved you, agape, that you unconditionally love each other in a devoted way, that you love each other, <laughs> it's a commandment, see, not only is it a commandment, it is modeled, love is modeled by Christ, John 13, 34, I know it says 35 on there, but it's actually the second part of 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Listen to this, that you also love one another. We've been given the model by Christ. Now, now I want to reiterate, we have been given the ability by Christ changing our hearts. We've been given the model of how to love by Christ throughout Scripture. 
Now we've been commanded to follow in his footsteps. Now here's the thing. If we just try to emulate his model, we're going to fall short. Because we can't be like him without being changed by him. So once you're changed by him, we follow the model that he's given us here. And, and I'll tell you the truth, that's where so many people in our world fall short today. Because if I'm just looking at a plan of how to love, or, or reasons why I should love, or a command that I've got to love, we fall short of understanding that the only way that I'll carry this out is by being changed by Jesus Christ. So he goes on here, he says that it's a commandment. He says that it's modeled by Christ. But finally we see this, it marks us as different in the world. I'm, I've touched on this a couple times already. That the love that we share for each other is what will allow others to know that there's something different about Jesus Christ. Listen, this day and age, almost everybody has been involved in some sort of belief system, right? Whether that was even Christian religion, that they just followed a set of rules and felt like that was going to make them close to Christ, whether that was Buddhism or, or Islam or whatever it is, most of this generation is looking for something, some greater purpose, some higher meaning to life. And I'll tell you the truth, after talking to hundreds and hundreds of teenagers and young adults that have been down this path, They've all found it woefully lacking, whether it was religion, whether it was a cult, whether it was some other source of religion, whatever belief system they followed, there came a point when they realized they were still the same person they'd always been. The difference in Christianity is if you'll allow Christ to change you and then put your focus on Christ, you will be permanently changed. Now, now that's not saying that we don't fall sometimes. Listen, I've been a pastor for 10 years, and I still mess up, right? I still mess up regularly. If you don't believe me, ask Leah. I'm sure she will gladly tell you many stories. If you want a real honest story, ask Mariah. And see, I'm, now I'm really putting myself out there. If you ask Mariah, I can't be held responsible for what she may say, although I am probably responsible for what she may say. But the truth of the matter is this. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to fail. We're still going to sin. But we can be changed permanently through Christ. And the difference that happens, what changes, is that now when I sin, it's not hopeless. It's not failure. It's not destitution. It's not depression. Because my failure is a reminder that Jesus already paid for it. And when I fall short and when I fail, this is the only thing. Now listen, as a teenager, I followed Christian religion. My dad was a pastor. I led the singing on Sunday, and I don't want to tell you what I was doing on Saturday night as a 15-year-old kid. But what happened was, when Christ came in and changed me, I still wanted to do those things, but as soon as I did them, you know what I was reminded of? I have a Savior that loves me, and He's worth more than this stuff. I have a Savior that loves me, and though these temptations may be strong, they're not nearly as strong as my love for the Savior. That can only happen in a relationship. can't happen with a set of rules. can't happen with a list of duties or commands. It can only happen in a relationship. This love marks us as different in the world. So first, we're, we're called to love one another. And I'll be honest with you, if I could only preach one point this morning, this would be it. We must love each other. This is where it all starts. And I want to go back to the first point I made. The difference in how you respond to somebody when they mess up is the difference of whether you hate or whether you love. Because I want you to think about your closest friends, your closest relatives, the people you love most. How many of them have never failed you? Zero, right? But how many of them have you written off and disregarded and just completely ignored? Well, I, I won't ask. I know there may be some, but there's not any that you don't still love. You still love them, and, and in fact, you put up with a lot of stuff that you wouldn't have put up with if you didn't love them. And so I want you to be reminded as a Christian, we must love each other. That's the foundation. The way that Christ has loved us, the way that he's built into us love, we must love one another. But not only are we called to love one another, we're called to support one another to support one another. And he says this in a few different ways, that we are called to support one another. The first verse I want us to look at, actually it's a, it's a quote by Oswald Chambers. So, so this is a quote, um, if you've ever read, oh, I can't think of the name of the book. It's a daily devotional. Who knows, who knows what the Chambers, thank you, my utmost for his highest. I read that every day throughout college. That was my personal daily devotional that I read, and I still will break it out 
every other year or so. It's, it's just a daily devotional, a little short reading. This is a quote from that devotional. Here's what, the, what Oswald Chambers says. It says, God never gives us discernment, or in other words, God never shows us something about each other in order that we may criticize, but that we may intercede. So what does that mean? When he says intercede there, he actually is taking that from an angle of praying for one another. He says here that we are not given information about each other, that we don't see differences in each other, that we don't see sin in each other so that we can condemn each other, or that we can tr- trash each other, or that we can share it and gossip about each other. We're given that insight about each other so that we can pray for one another, so that we can love one another, so that we can help one another. And so as we look at this, that we're called to serve, that we're called to support, I want to look at just a few things. The first one's here in James chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And so the first thing is this, be honest with one another. Do you know what one of the most damaging things we can do as a believer is? To pretend that we're perfect. It is. One of the most easy ways for us to damage each other as believers is to pretend that we've got it all together. Because you know what that does? People around you look and say, well, if they've got it all together, I must have a different kind of Christianity because I don't have it all together. I haven't got it all figured out. I haven't got it perfect yet. I'm not what God thinks I should be because I'm not like that person. I can remember growing up and thinking that these people, I, I knew so many people in my life that, that purported or, or pretended that they were perfect, that they did everything right, that they never failed, that they never messed up. And it discouraged me as a young believer because I, I, I remember thinking, well, I must not have the right kind of Christianity because I can't do what they're doing. And I'm not perfect like they are. Let me tell you something. Let me let you in on a secret. There's nobody sitting here today or standing here today that's perfect. There's nobody here today that had a perfect week. There's nobody here today that had a perfect day. I would venture to say that there's none of us here today that had a perfect hour. There's probably not many that had a perfect minute this week. Because we're all broken, and we all fail, and we all need each other. If only, if only God would have created some entity that we could come together and support each other and encourage each other when we fall. If only there were such a place where we were called to love each other and commanded to support one another. Wait a second, we're there. Let me tell you something, if you think that this church is supposed to be a museum of the perfect, you got the wrong church. This ain't the one. If you think that this church is supposed to be a display, for those of us that have got it figured out, you got the wrong one. And I'll tell you this, it's not a Christian church that you're looking for. It's not a Bible-believing church that you're looking for if you're looking for perfection. Because Jesus said it himself. He said, I didn't come to heal those who are healthy. I came to heal the sick. We are a sick, broken group of people. And God brought us together to love each other and to encourage each other and to build each other up. But what do we often do? I find out something about you, and I tell somebody else, and they tell somebody else, and they tell somebody else. And before you know it, instead of supporting and encouraging each other, we divide, and we break apart, and we've got arguments, and we've got strife because of all these different divisions that we've created ourselves when what we were coming to do is be healed and be helped and be encouraged. You want to know something that will ruin trust? When you come somewhere to be healed and helped and encouraged, and instead you receive punishment, and you receive slander, and there's gossip instead. Let me tell you something. It's not a coincidence that the first Google search that you'll pull up when you type in, why are Christians, is such hypocrites. Why are Christians such hypocrites? Here's why. Because we are not exercising the love of Christ in us to love each other. If love is only given when it is deserved, you're never giving love. Let me repeat that. If you only love people that deserve it, you don't love anybody because there's nobody that deserves our love. There's nobody that deserves the love of Christ. But he died for us, transformed us, and has called us to love each other. So we're called to support each other. We're called <laughs> to be honest with each other. I want you to see in James chapter, uh, actually First John 1, 9, the Bible says this, <coughs> if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. Listen to this. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First thing I want you to realize is this. Confession leads to righteousness. Say, what do you mean? Righteousness is the lack of unrighteousness. Righteousness is the result of God's righteousness being placed on our account because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So you want to be righteous. You want to be, and that word righteous, sometimes we get caught up in it, but here's what he's saying. You want to be right with God? You want to be right in the eyes of God? Confess your sins, and he'll forgive you, and he'll cleanse you. It does not say, be perfect, and you will be righteous. Because we can't. We're not capable. It's not going to happen until we reach heaven. We're going to have sin. We're going to have problems. We're going to have difficulties. I say it this way, and I've, I've told probably easily a couple thousand teenagers this over the last 10 years. This is what uh, our world encapsulates. Okay, this is what I want you to understand about our world. If you are struggling with sin, you are the majority. 100% of people struggle with sin. But if you're actually fighting against it, you are now the minority. And here's what we are called together as believers to do, to encourage each other. Do you know the reason that you go through some things is so that later you can help somebody else get through that thing? It's the truth. I've seen it played out in my own life many times. I'm sure you have as well, that we have been through difficult times so that we can hold the hand of somebody else as they go through difficult times. That's why we are together. When I say that God brought us together and perfectly fitted us together, it's not because of looks or because of mindsets or because of... Um, superficial talents or abilities it's because he knows what you've been through and he knows what i've been through and he's meshed us together as a body of believers because we can encourage and help one another that's why we're here that's why we're called here and so we understand that we must be honest with one another i want you to understand that confession is honest if we look at first john 1 8 it says if we say we have no sin we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us i think this is funny do you notice he says, we are deceiving ourselves? He doesn't say we're deceiving everybody. doesn't say we're deceiving the pastor or deceiving God or deceiving each other. He says, we are deceiving ourselves. Have you ever seen somebody who purports themselves or, or presents themselves as perfect, and you look and you say, listen, I know you've got things going on. I know that you've got struggles. I can see that you're struggling but the problem is, when we pretend we have no sin, the only person that we're deceiving is ourselves. And so what God's calling for here, what we're told here, is that we must all be open and understanding and honest with the fact that we are not perfect and that we need Him. And when we confess those sins to Christ, it results in righteousness. Now, he, here He says, confess your sins one to another. I want to give you some wisdom here. This is biblical wisdom. I don't want to take a long time following it. But I want you to read this little starred point down here. Confession should always be to someone we have hurt. That's restitution. I'm trying to fix where I've messed up. Or to someone who can help for accountability, for, for, for encouragement. So many times, I, I've seen this happen in churches where you'll say, I've got a prayer request, and then proceed to gossip about somebody. Have you ever heard that? You heard the, 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 the gossip prayer request? That's, that's a pretty normal one. Or so many times, we just have a conversation, and in the course of conversation, we end up sharing something that we probably shouldn't have shared. We end up talking about something we probably shouldn't have talked about. And sometimes it's even gray in our own minds. Well, really, should I have talked about that? Is that something I should have discussed? Here's a great rule of thumb. When you're talking to somebody about an incident or about a hurt or about a problem, are you going to the person that you hurt or hurt you? That's number one. That's the first person that's okay to contact about that. Second person, are you going to someone that can help fix the problem? If it's not one of those two people, let me get, let you in on a secret. We have a word for that. It's called gossip. If it's not intended to create restitution and it's not intended to fix the problem, all you're doing is entertaining yourself, and it's ungodly. So why is that such a big deal? Why is that such a problem? Well, I'll just tell you from my experience, it has resulted in people going away from the church and never coming back. In my experience, it has caused people that were strong and serve the Lord to lose faith in other believers and walk away from the faith. Now, here's the thing. 
If you're committed to other people only because they're perfect, you got it wrong. You need to remember that other people are broken just like you are. But also, if you're the kind of person that Monday rolls around, Tuesday rolls around, and you just want to make a few calls and chat about a few things, I want you to think about these two things. Am I going to someone that's hurt me or that I've hurt? Am I going to someone that can fix the situation? If it's not one of those two people, talk about Christ, talk about what God's doing in your life, talk about the sports, talk about weather, talk about anything else other than that incident. Because even if you do it, let, let's say that your intentions are good. I just, I just was talking, I just was trying to get somebody's point of view, or I just was trying to find out this or that. If you do that, it's inevitably going to spread. And things like that tend to mutate as they go. And they went from a loving conversation to slander to hatefulness to now you have a whole group of people that have a mindset about somebody that's not justified, that's not warranted, that's not valuable. Here's a cool, uh, uh, just a, a crucial point that we must follow. Are you going to someone that hurt you or that you hurt, or are you going to someone that can fix it? Anybody else? Don't go to them. Don't go to him. And if you say, well, I heard a story. I heard something about so-and-so, and I don't know if it's true, so I'm just trying to find out. You want to know what you do? Call that person. It's the easiest thing to do. Call that person and say, I love you, and I know you, and I just wanted to be a part of helping you if I could. You know what that does is it removes all the middlemen. It removes, have you ever played the game telephone? So, or, or um, let's see, what's another word for it? So I'll, I'll just tell you the premise of the game. Whisper. Whisper, what is it? Whisper down the alley. That's the, I like that phrase. I like that. That's better than telephone. It's more, uh, more um, descriptive. So when I go to FCA, actually, one of the games I play is called uh, telephone. Uh, what, what, uh, we call it back drawings because there's not really a good name for it. But what you get is a whole line of kids standing in one single file line. And the person at the very front, I show, uh, or at the very back, I show them a picture on my phone or on a piece of paper. And they begin drawing on the person in front of them, on their back. And then the, when they're done, the person draws on the person in front of them. So it's drawings like a star. Sometimes it might even just be literally a circle. And then when it gets to the front person, who's got a piece of paper and they're supposed to replicate what I showed the back person, never has it ever been remotely close unless they cheated. One time, a star turned into an entire house. They drew a house. There was a door, a window, everything. They just, and, and here's what happens. Here's why that happens. And here's why telephone's such a difficult game. Because when you hear something, you interject your feelings, your thoughts, your personality, your ideas on the information that you just got. Because if we don't, and this is how, the way the human mind works. If we don't have a full picture, our brain is conditioned to fill in the blanks. Our brain is conditioned to fill in the blanks. And so when you hear a story and it's less than the full truth, you're filling in the blanks with what you think. It's a big problem, right? You see how that leads to hurt and leads to pain. So here's what I want you to realize. Here's what we've got to do is that when we confess to each other, it's not confessing for the sake of confessing. I'm going to fix the problem that I created or look for help with this problem that I've got. Simple as that. Those are the two times that we talk. Third thing is this. <clears throat> Third way that we support each other, or second way that we support each other is this, to pray for one another. James 5.16, we've read it a couple times, but I'll read it again. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Here's the thing. I've seen a lot of times where a prayer request for somebody else that hurts you is, Lord, get them back. They hurt me. Wait a second. That's, that's not really the emphasis we're seeing here. God, how dare they do that to me? Help them get hurt today so that they'll know what you want them to do. Right? I, listen, I'm guilty. I've been there before. Like, God, how dare they do that? You show them that I'm right and they're wrong. You fix this. But here's what the Bible says. Pray for one another, listen to this, so that you may be healed. Think about this. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. God, they hurt me. Help me to love them the right way. Change the things in me that were either, maybe they were too sensitive or I got too frustrated. Lord, help me to be the example that you've created in me. Pray for them so that you may be healed. Pray for one another so that we all can be healed. The, the idea here is that we can be reconciled. Reconciliation is the goal. God is not honored in Christians hating each other. 
and fighting with each other. God is not honored in all of these arguments and gossips and discussions. God is not honored in these things. He is honored when Christians love each other. The world will see Christ in us when we love one another. That's what he says here. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Two things I want you to realize here is that prayer is important. Here's what he says. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Prayer is effective and prayer is important. Prayer is not a throwaway. In our day and age, sometimes we go and say to somebody, and, and, and I fall into this too, that if you can't do anything physical, last resort is, well, I'll pray for you. And it's like it's a throwaway. Like, oh, well, I got nothing else, but here's prayer. Enjoy the prayer, right? In fact, if someone comes to you and says, I, I need something, I need this. Well, I'll pray for you. And, that, you know, and here's the problem. We throw it so flippantly that, number one, we don't ever pray for them, right? We didn't think it was important, so we didn't pray for them in the first place. And number two, we forget that everything that we've got and everything that we've been given and all of the blessings that God's bestowed on us, he's willing to bestow on others if we pray. Prayer is a powerful thing. There is a reason why we have such an emphasis on prayer at our church, because it makes a difference. Now, here's the thing. When you pray, I want you to know you're not informing God. You're not telling God anything. He knows. He knows what our needs are. He knows what our faults are. He knows what our failures are. What we are doing when we pray is we are admitting to God that you are the only answer for our needs. Do you see that difference here? And, and, and read this passage again, James chapter 5, verse 16. Re listen to this again. He says, pray for one another so that you may be healed. I want you to see that the, 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 the emphasis he's giving here is not that he's going to change the situation. It's not that he's going to make the person change in any other way. It's not that he's going to change your, or your wants or your desires. Here's what he says. He says that you will be healed. When we pray, and we pray in the right way, what it does more often than not is changes our heart and aligns us with God the way that we should be. That's what prayer does. That's what prayer is. That's what prayer is saying, is God, you are what I need. It says here we're to serve one another. Galatians 5.13, I'll read you, it says this, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Listen to this. But through love, serve one another. Here's what he says. We have freedom in Christ. It, but but here, it, that means, if we want to have blue carpet in the church, We've got the liberty to do it. That means if we want to change the toilet paper in the bathroom, praise the Lord, we've got liberty to do it. If we want to change the style of music in our church, we've got liberty to do it. If we want to change the direction of the church, as long as it's following Christ and he's called us to it, he's given us freedom and liberty to do it. But here's what he says. Don't use that freedom as an excuse to just get what you want. Right? That's the temptation. Well, everything's okay. There's nothing that God's made off limits to me. So I can just say whatever I want. I can just do whatever I want. I want things just my way. We talked about this a little bit last week. That your preferences so often can sneak in and become demands. Well, I prefer this temperature, and I prefer this music, and I prefer this style of preaching, and I prefer this hairstyle, and I prefer this type of clothing, and I prefer if Pastor John was quieter or louder, or we had different this or different that. And all those preferences start to leak in, and what, what Paul tells us here is he says, listen, don't be using your freedom as an excuse to demand your own way. Instead, here's what he says. He goes on further, and if you're with me, it's Galatians chapter 5, the last part of verse 13, he says this, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So if we're going to properly use the freedom and liberty that God gives us through the Son, Jesus Christ, we have to be transformed to love one another. His love functioning through us with his freedom and his liberty will create a loving church family. You don't get it any other way. That's the only way we can get it. And so we're called here to serve one another. <clears throat> Next thing he says, don't attack one another. Don't attack one another. Galatians chapter 5. Once again, we're going to go on with that passage in verse number 14. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Listen to this. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch what he just said? He said the whole law, or in other words, all of Scripture is completed or summarized in this. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that might make my job a lot easier as a pastor. Here, here's, here's what we're called to do. Love each other in the model of Jesus Christ through the power of Jesus Christ and his transformation in our lives. That is what Christianity is all about. That's what we're called to do. And so here he says, he says, love one another. Uh, but he goes on in chapter 14, uh, verse 15, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, listen to this, take care that you are not consumed by one another. See, here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. If every time you see a weakness in somebody, you attack it, it's just a matter of time before we're all dead. That's what he says. It's just a matter of time before we're all consumed. Because let's, let, let me reiterate this. If you are looking for sin, you don't have to look far. In the pew next to you, on the stage in front of you, everywhere around you, we all are broken and sinful and need Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. And so if you're searching for sin and a reason to attack each other, you will find it. But here's what he says in Scripture. Be careful that you are not consumed by one another. You know what, so, so many times in Christian life, we, we do Christian-friendly fire, right? And what ha happens is we attack each other, and we see a weakness, and we exploit that weakness in a fellow believer. And the reason we do that is because we forget that one another is not the enemy. The enemy is, 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 is Satan. The enemy is the, the world. The enemy is the flesh. Who you're sitting with in here, us as a body of believers, this is our family. This is who we're supposed to support. This is who we're supposed to encourage. And, and let me be very clear. If there is somebody in this room that you would not be open and willing to go and hug their neck and say, I love you, you need to get that right. That's on you and nobody else. Regardless of what they did to you, regardless of what they said to you, regardless of how they treated you, regardless of whether they deserve it, be transformed by the love of Christ and love those that don't deserve it. Because let me tell you something. The last thing I want for our church is for us to consume each other over little things. But it'll happen. I've seen it happen. I'm sure you've seen it happen. The only way to combat that? Love. Love through the love of Christ. Last thing is this. Number three, forgive one another. Forgive one another. Colossians chapter 3 says this in verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. you say, what is he saying? He says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If you have a King James Version or if you have an older translation, that word bearing with is actually translated as forbearing one another. When you look at the word forbearing, here's what that means. It is patiently waiting for someone to stop offending you so that you may forgive them. So here's the picture. Someone slapping you in the face, slapping you in the face, slapping you in the face, and you're so eager to forgive that every time they take a pause, you're saying, I, oh, no, you're not done. I, oh, it's still slapping me. I, oh, no, you got me again. I, for, oh, it got me again. That is what we're called to do as believers. You say, well, it's limited, right? It's not limited. The Bible says in another chapter, how many times am I called to forgive? 70 times 7. You say, okay, so 490. That's the number. I'm going to tally those down. 490 times I forgive and then I'm done. No, that was a figure of speech, meaning you never stop forgiving. And he says here, you're eagerly waiting to forgive. The same way, I want you to see this, the same way that Christ is eager to forgive you, we are to be eager to forgive each other. You say, well, let me just stew in it a little while. That's called bitterness. That will lead to nothing good. Well, let me just decide if they deserve it. Let me tell you, they don't. Forgive them anyway. Here's what the Bible says. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And here's what he says. He says, not because they deserve it, not because they're worth it, but because Christ deserves it. And because Christ is worth it, we're called to forgive. So maybe you're sitting here and you say, well, John, you're really like pushing me. You're stepping on my toes. I'm not appreciating this sermon. I'm sorry that you don't appreciate it. But blame God because he's who's calling us to do it. Listen, I am not exempt in this. There have been many times in recent years over my time in ministry that I've had to go to people who did me wrong, who absolutely did me wrong, admitted they did me wrong, and go to them before they asked for it to say, I forgive you and I love you. It wasn't for their sake. 
And it wasn't for my sake. It was for the cause of Christ. Because bitterness in my heart will only breed hatred. Bitterness in my heart will only change my ability to love somebody else. So I'm challenging you today. Maybe there's somebody that today at the chili cook-off or today after church is over, you need to get with them and give them a hug and say, I forgive you and I love you. Who cares what the issue was? Was it more important than the cross? Not a chance. Was it more important than the cause of Christ? Not in a million years it wasn't. So here's what we're called to do. Love each other, support each other, and forgive each other. And if you can't do those, I challenge you to get relationship with Christ right. Because what's going to allow you to do that is the transformation that he's made in you. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I don't know if I've been transformed. I can't forgive people that have hurt me. Listen, I've sat in, I've sat in my office with teenagers that say, I've got a stepdad who abused me. I've got a stepdad who mistreated me. I've got a stepdad that did this. I've got an uncle that did this. I've got an aunt that did this. And let me tell you something. The answer that I gave to them is the same that I give to you. You're called to forgive. Now, some of you, I can see the concern in your eyes. We still addressed what needed to be addressed. But for those kids and for those teenagers, how God was going to fix the bitterness in their heart, simple, forgiveness. Our church if we're going to be what God called us to be, and we're going to go forward and do what God's calling us to do, and we're going to bask in the blessings that he's given us, and we're going to continue to reach people for the cause of Christ, the only way that we may continue is when we love each other, when we serve each other, and when we forgive each other. If we can't do that, what are we trying to bring the world to? Because if we don't do that, we're just the same as everybody outside these walls. If we can't forgive people when they don't deserve it, we're exactly the same as somebody outside of these walls. Don't call yourself a Christian if you can't love and can't serve and can't forgive. This morning, as the musicians come, I want you to consider your life. I want you to consider your situation. Maybe there's not somebody that you need to forgive, but maybe you have never been forgiven. Maybe that transformation in your heart has never occurred in your life. Maybe Christ has never come and changed you from a wretched sinner into a forgiven sinner, into a forgiven follower. Today is your day, and it's as simple as ABC. The Bible says, A, admit that you're a sinner. Listen, for all of us, that should be easy. I am broken and a failure, and I can't do it myself. That's me speaking, and I know you can say the same thing. B, he says, believe that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. And C is confess that he is the only way to salvation. I can't try hard enough. I can't be good enough. In fact, I'll still keep messing up, but I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ because he's the only one that can change me. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe you're here today and you are a believer, but you say, I have such a hard time forgiving those around me. Let me just tell you, let me reiterate it to you. The only person that you're hurting is yourself. The only person that you're hurting is yourself. That bitterness that you're harboring, it, it hurts you and it hurts those around you because you can't love the way that God's called you to love if you harbor hatred and you hold those, those offenses and you keep, hang on to them. Allow Christ to work in your heart and forgive those.